Right as we get in chapter 4, it says he had to go through Samaria. For God to love the world, Jesus had to go through Samaria, which he didn't have to, really. Most Jews in that time would have gone around Samaria in order to get to Jerusalem. That's how bad it was. I mean, you ever tell your child, um, if you're going to go over there in the city, um, go around this area. Don't drive through on the streets over here. You know, you don't, you don't want to be, especially at night or something, you know, you don't want to be on those streets. Well, this was Samaria, like a whole area of land. Don't go through there. You don't want to come into contact with Samaritans. As if just by getting close, you could catch something, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. But Jesus had to go through Samaria for some reason. It just, it's the, it just says it, like he had to go through Samaria. So he's going, it's hot. I mean, I don't know, who's been to Israel, anybody? Okay, all right, so, so in that area, I don't know if, you, if you've been there, I mean, it's, it's very much, I mean, it's, it would be wilderness sort of area, I think, around there, even though now there's a city uh, that's built up around, around Shechem and, and all of that and in the, in the valley here, um, but very much wilderness, but not like wilderness like we think, not like tall trees and that sort of thing, sort of like scrub brush, we have some Nebraskans here, think sand hills, okay? Uh, think the sand hills, like it's just sort of scrub brush, and, 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 but it's more rocky and mount, not really mountainous, but hilly. And, and so it's probably hot if they're traveling during the day. And so, I mean, and it sort of insinuates here that Jesus is tired because the, the disciples go in to get food. Jesus stays at the well and he has no bucket, so he can't get anything. But the woman comes and and here's where Jesus just breaks every, every conventional rule. I mean, for us, we would teach our children, don't talk to a stranger. I mean, that's sort of a modern way of thinking about things. But, but here Jesus talks, not only does he talk to a stranger, he talks to a woman. He talks to a Samaritan. And then he asks her for something. I find this fascinating that the one who says, I came to serve not to be served, actually asks her to serve him, to give him a drink of water. It's really interesting. It breaks all convention. If you remember our story from last week, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is this respected leader, male, has a name, stupid, <laughs> Right? Like he doesn't, he's very learned, but he doesn't get it. Here's a Samaritan woman who, who by, all, by all rights in terms, of the, in terms of the culture, they would have thought she's uneducated. You know, shouldn't be talked to, shouldn't be given any credence. And here she is, she begins to talk to Jesus. And she has a greater understanding in some ways of what's going on in the, in between, the different, um, between the Jews and the Samaritans than what Nicodemus thought about what was going on with the Jews. Like, Nicodemus doesn't get it, and she asks questions, and Jesus deals with her very fairly, but she begins to sense something. She begins to sense something very, very different. He talks to her, and she, she begins to get a sense of that he's speaking of something that she's heard of, but doesn't quite know. This place, Jacob's Well, 
to this day is still a contentious site. It's now the home of a Greek Orthodox um, church that's built up over it. You have to go down um, in it. Did we get those pictures by any chance? Oh, they wouldn't load? Dang it. I have pictures of me with the Orthodox priest that's there and, uh, and us down right by the well or where they think it is and, and down in there. Here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing. We often think of this stuff as ancient history, that conflicts are ancient history. In 1979, um, when, when um, there were Jewish settlers occupying uh, the West Bank, um, some Jewish zealots came and, and came to the, the, this church, this Greek Orthodox church, and said, this is a Jewish holy site. We're going to take it back. And... Um, they literally hacked to death the priest. And there are icons now in the church of that happening. I mean, you walk into this place and you're like, this isn't ancient history. This is right now. Right now, we're still fighting over the water of God. <laughs> so now think about that as you, as you think about this story now the kind of contention that might have been between Samaritans and Jews. That's how they would have thought of each other. And for Jesus then, a man, a Jewish man, to break convention and to speak with her, I mean, you just have to wonder, what was she thinking? Was she thinking he was going to do something to her? Going to hurt her? Going to kill her? I mean, who knows what was, what was going through her mind as she was speaking with him. But she has an experience with Jesus. And he talks about all this convoluted sort of stuff, right? Life-giving water, and if you drink from it, you're going to have it forever. And it's all this very spiritual stuff. Welcome to the Gospel of John. I mean, John is the most spiritual in, in some sense and, and, and sort of... Uh, Airy, I guess, would, would be a word, a theological of, of, all the, of all the Gospels. But something hits with her. Something connects with her. Her experience with Jesus doesn't just have some sort of spiritual consequence. She doesn't just walk away and go, wow, that was really awesome. I feel great. Right? She goes away and she's like, I've got to tell some people about this. And she goes and she says, you know, this man... This man talked to me and he knew everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the anointed one? Because when she was talking to him, she said, she said, well, you know, we know that when the, when the anointed one comes, when the, when the Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, you know, he'll, he's basically going to reveal things to us. And Jesus says, I am. In our Bibles, it mostly says, I am he who is speaking to you. It's not in there, in the Greek. We, we add that in there. He says, I am. I've often talked to you about the fact that the New Testament sings an Old Testament song. Who's I am? When did I am speak? <laughs> to Moses. She would have known those stories. And he says, I am. And she begins to get a sense that there is more to this man than just his Jewishness, than just his humanness, than just the fact that he's thirsty. 
He talks to her, and there's this, again, this weird conversation about, well, go find your husband. Why well, don't have a husband? And many people have made lots about this, that somehow she was this floozy or something, right? I mean, that, that she was this loose woman. There's a lot of, a lot of talk about that over, over time. And, but here's the thing, like, it, it, as if she had a choice about getting married. It's different now for us, or at least we think it is, right? I mean, that, that women have a choice about whether they get married or not, who they fall in love with, what they're going to, at least in most communities, in most countries that we, have, that we live in, that we think about, you have a choice. She has no choice. If she doesn't have a husband, she doesn't have a life. And so we don't know also if maybe, maybe she married a man and he died. And so then her brother his brother married her because that would have been what we call Leverite marriage where, where it would have passed down because the brother has the responsibility to take care of the wife of the other brother if the brother dies and leaves no children. We don't know. So I don't want, I don't want to make much about this other than the fact that Jesus somehow knows this and, and that to her it really means something. That he doesn't judge her because of that. That he honors her honesty when she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right. We, you've had five and none of them have really been your husband. And then they get into this dialogue about where you're going to worship. Because, of course, the Jews said you've got to be in Jerusalem. Samaritans say you've got to be on Mount Gerizim. And I, and I love this passage. Because it gives me hope for denominationalism meaning the destruction of denominationalism. Because he basically says, there's going to come a day where it's not going to matter if you worship at the Church of the Holy Comforter, you know, the Church of Saints Constantine and Helen, the Church of Westminster, we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not going to matter what time worship is, what building it's in, what mountain it's on, we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. And when we finally get it, when that life-giving water wells up in us, we will worship God in spirit and in truth. And again, I think that, you know, we're singing an Old Testament song. God is talking about, in the Old Testament, talking about that in that last day, that all nations will come together and will worship God. And we'll worship God together. It's a beautiful vision. But she catches something in him, in talking with him. It's an experience that then isn't just, again, some spiritual experience where she walks away feeling good about herself. She goes away and she starts telling people about it. It has real world consequences for her for some reason. And she's just asking people, come and see him. Come and see him. Come and check this guy out. Come and hear what he's talking about. And Jesus then stays a couple extra days, which is just odd because so much of the time he doesn't, he doesn't let any grass grow under his feet. Like he's moving on, moving on, moving on, moving on. But he stays with Samaritans for two days. And many of them come to believe in him. Because of this Woman, unnamed Samaritan, married five times. She's the first evangelist and the first missionary we have in the scriptures. Let that sink in just for a moment. A woman, an outsider, a non-Jew, 
the first evangelist and missionary we have in the scripture. And yet still today in, in many churches, the, the role of women in leadership is, is not happening. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's unbiblical. This experience that she has with Jesus causes her, causes her to go back and to begin to share her story in such a way that other people want to come, want to come and see Jesus. She was just going to get water. And she got so much more. She got so much more. Today, that church that I mentioned, it's um, the church of St. Fotini, the Samaritan. They gave her a name. And it's dedicated to her. It's as if the experience with Jesus went like this. That as she told her story, she said, He told me everything about myself. And He loved me anyway. So I don't know what you think about yourself, about the relationships you've had, the, the things that you screwed up, the shame that you carry around the fear that you have. God knows all about that stuff and loves you anyway. Loves you anyway. And the really cool thing is is that for the people that we think are on the outside the people that we put on the outside, the people who we would never talk to, the people that we would be afraid of, they need to hear that story too. That God knows all about it and loves them anyway. So may you this week, when you're just going to get water, have an experience with Jesus. And may it well up in you like a life-giving spirit and overflow into your world. Amen.